Hey, it's AJ, and before we begin the next episode, I have to confess something. The audio you're about to hear isn't that great. And look, I tried everything I could to clean it up as best as I could, but unfortunately, it just didn't work out. And normally, I would cancel and reschedule the entire interview, but when you hear what Simon shared in his interview, oh wow, it is truly an amazing conversation. I mean, here's a guy that's gone out and he's literally changing the world to make it a better place. And a couple of the questions that I asked him was how, how did he actually get started? And he's generously shared everything with me. So rather than risk losing that magic, I decided to put the interview ahead as is. So if you can forgive me and forgive the audio quality, I promise you the magic that you're going to get is just phenomenal. So with that in mind, please enjoy the episode. We've always been driven by big inspirational goals, flying, developing medicine, walking on the moon. And while big goals are exciting, it's actually the little details, the small things that when done correctly and repeated over time, helps us achieve them. As business leaders face a new set of challenges, I'm on a quest to find the small things they need to keep in mind. My name is AJ Kalatanga, and this is One Small Thing, brought to you by Book Speakers Direct, the revolutionary way of selecting the best speaker for your event. My guest today is Simon Doble, a purpose-driven entrepreneur and authority on creating innovative solar energy solutions for the humanitarian and off-grid sectors. As the CEO of SolarBuddy and several other initiatives, Simon tackles the problem of energy poverty, which kills more people each year than AIDS and malaria combined. A passionate world changer, Simon has shared his knowledge, experience and message with over 50,000 people globally. And he's here today to do the same. Simon, welcome to One Small Thing. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you, mate. I wanted to get right in here and ask you, what is energy poverty? Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Energy poverty... Um, Essentially, it's a global problem. It affects everybody, um, but very few people know about it. And it's where there's an inconsistent or unreliable supply of any form of energy. Um, people that live in extreme energy poverty, which is the, the, the sort of communities that we work with and specialize in, there's about 850 million people around the world that live in extreme energy poverty. And extreme energy poverty is, is where families and communities are still burning firewood every evening to see it within their homes or around their communities, still burning firewood uh, to cook every night and every day, and still burning firewood to heat their homes. Um, kerosene oil within lanterns just to see. Very, very toxic, very, very bad for, for people and very, very bad for the environment. But we also have energy poverty in, in, in Australia, all, all across Indigenous communities there's energy poverty. And we have um, urban energy poverty too, where where uh, low socioeconomic, um, uh, low low income families can't afford to pay for electricity. So it's uh, sometimes they get cut off. in And in England, in in Northern Europe, there's there's a huge problem of, of elderly people dying from, from cold homes within in cold homes um, because they can't afford to buy their pay their energy bill. So energy poverty is a very big complex problem, um, but we specifically focus on extreme energy poverty. 
and the children that are affected by extreme energy poverty. That is uh, that is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Uh, how do you so so looking back on on the research I did, it's it's remarkable the 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 social enterprises you've created uh, in in all different areas to address this problem. I'm curious as to uh, how do you see how do you see this changing? If it's such a massive problem, what what is your belief? Like, what drives you? How do you believe that we can change things? Where does that come from? Uh, I, I absolutely believe we can end energy poverty, and, and I believe we can absolutely end energy poverty by 2030, and, and that's the global goal. Um, the technology, the technology is allowing us to do that. The technology of of LEDs, uh, like emitting diodes, that are extremely cheap to produce and very long lasting and very robust. The technology of solar panels in different forms of renewable energy that um, circumnavigate the need for government um, in mass uh, industrialized sort of electricity um, power plants in in, uh, in, in energy uh, lines. Renewable energy can be a solar panel can be put on a roof of, of any house or in the garden of any property anywhere in the world and generate electricity, and that's the power that we have as an organization and as an industry and as a world to, to put the power of the sun into the hands of the people that need it. And, and that's where I know we can end energy poverty in all its forms uh, by 2030. I absolutely no doubt about that. What we do need to do is scale very quickly and we do need to raise awareness um, within people, within the communities and in, in, in countries that we live in, and we're very lucky to live here in Australia, uh, that there is such a problem still that's so prevalent with one point one one in five people on the planet living in 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 what is called energy poverty. Sooner we raise awareness to the problem, the technology and the impact of that can take take hold, and we can we can end the problem very quickly. That is um that that is incredible. One of the, uh, so hand on my heart, I did not know what energy poverty was until I started the background research on yourself, and um and and reading it, you know. Uh, one of the one of the interesting things that I sort of took away from it is is like you said awareness, but also the depth of the problem. And 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 let me just let me just go into that in a, in a little bit more detail. So um, you know I'm I'm a city boy. You know, grow, growing up in Darwin in Northern Territory. Um, you know, I visit my family in Sri Lanka, and you know, I've I have a certain view of the world. Uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's privileged, but it's also not poverty. And um, like many other. Um, Many other Australians uh, with with COVID, I uh, I sort of decided to holiday around my local area, which means that I got heavily into four wheel driving. And me being the obsessed person that I was, I go all out. So I bought a four wheel drive, and now I'm looking at camping. And part of that process is looking at well, you're in a remote camping area, you got no Wi Fi, you know, like no Wi Fi, no electricity. So I'm looking at all these, you know, like solar power and batteries and and putting it all together. And when I was when I was researching you, I suddenly had this distinction like this is an option for me. You know, it's it's a it's a very simple thing like oh, I don't have the equipment, I'm not going to go out or my solar panels malfunctioning, I'm not going to go out. Now, I understand that is not the reality for a lot of people out there. This is their way of life. Can you talk a bit about the work that you've done overseas? On what it's like visiting a, a village, where perhaps that it's not a choice; it's a way of life. 
Absolutely. It's, um, I, I mean, I've, I've been very lucky to, to visit many, many countries around the world over the last 10 years. Um, and I just, I just pick up on your camping experiences there. I, I invented a renewable energy solution for the United Nations a number of years ago that was based on my understanding of using light in a camping environment. Um, and I took, uh, I took that understanding and designed uh, a renewable energy solution for refugee tents. Um, so they then had integrated lighting within refugee tents. Um, based on my experience of using renewable energy in the camping environment, um, that's and I morphed that into solve a solution, solve a problem within refugee camps. So very similar um, understandings of, of that. But um, but going in country, it's it's incredible to see, um, and, and, and I have to be very respectful and in, in, in culturally sensitive to, to, to this conversation because. Um, it's it's like going back many 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 years, and and families are, are foraging for, you know, I've seen I've seen elderly, very elderly women in Somalia, Ethiopia, Tanzania, etc., you know, walking many many kilometers to go and get uh, dry firewood or charcoal, different forms of fuel, to then be able to cook on that particular day, and it's such a hand to mouth existence, and every day. They are raising enough money or selling enough of their corn or chickens or eggs or whatever um, to raise enough money to go and buy, purchase or forage with the fuel that they need to then cook to eat and light and see it in their homes. And that is the daily existence. So when you can provide the basics that we need to live, and I believe the basics are food and water and sanitation, but also energy, um, because if you cannot function of an evening and you, you cannot work, you cannot study, you cannot get ahead for the, for the hours of, of, that the sun is down, then you're already behind the April. So for us to see this and understand this and then provide safe, reliable sources of lighting and other forms of power to these communities is massively transformative. It's as important as installing, if not more important, as installing a water well in that community and providing safe drinking water. It's as important as providing um, opportunity for, for sustainable farming within that community so they can feed, better, feed themselves better. It's as important as providing vaccines in, in health uh, situations. And, and that's, that's quite often what's overlooked. The fundamentals are sanitation, food, water, health, vaccines, medicine. But energy is absolutely massively uh, integral to survival and, and, and progression of so many of these communities around the world that they want to work, they want to power machines, they want to power um, phones so they can study, they want to turn on lights so they can read a book and study and do their homework of an evening and get good grades and be able to go off to a school in the city um, somewhere in, in Ethiopia or around the world so they can get better grades to then go back to their own communities and, and, and get out of the property cycle that they're in. So it's massively integral and we see it all the time. But the most beautiful thing that I, I can say is when you hand a child, a five-year-old child, a 10-year-old child, their very own little personal solar body light that is theirs, and they turn it on and they see a light shine up on their face, even during the day when we, when we hand them out in schools, it is absolutely one of the most privileged things I can ever experience because it's so special. Um, and it, you know, hundreds of thousands of times we've done this over the years, and it never, ever gets boring. That joy, that childlike joy of seeing the light magically turns on and it isn't going to 
give off toxic smoke to pollutant is um is a goosebump moment over and over and over again. I, I love that distinction that you just said. You said this beautiful little light in this child's hand isn't gonna kill them. You know, and, and I think and, and, and the reason why I'm asking you all these questions is that I, I want people listening to this going, you know what, this is a serious problem because, you know, it, it, it is just it is just something that we take for granted. You know, you flick on a switch and all of a sudden, you know, whatever. And we've all been there when the Wi-Fi doesn't work, right? You know, and, and, and it's just, I feel as though as technology becomes more more prevalent, you know, more accepted in society that we do take these things for granted. So um, th that is an incredible, incredible way of articulating just the real trouble that people go through. Um, you and I both know that it, that it takes a village to really create an empire or rather a, a, an enterprise. Um, back in the day when you started Solar Buddy, it was just yourself. What did, what did you, how did you have conversations? Cause obviously you saw this problem. You were passionate about this problem. You did your own research into this problem. You came up with a solution. Talk to me about how you, how you sort of went from there. How did you build support? How did you get people on the journey with you? That's a really good question, and, and I sort of made notes because that's um, one of the big things that I really want to focus on. And and I come back to the word modeling. Um, I, I'd had the the fortune of inventing this particular solution for the UN. I had the fortune of, of working with the UN in Geneva and Budapest and in, in, in going to many refugee camps all across the world and, and communities that, that were supported by the UN. And that gave me a really good... Uh, basic understanding of what the problem is, what solutions were working, what solutions weren't working, what organizations were making it work and what organizations were being problematic um, and, and were being cohesive and some weren't. And, and the, 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 the people that we were trying to help, what they needed and how they needed to be supported. And that was a massive learning curve for me. So when I started Solar Buddy, I sat down in, in I wanted to do something that was so simply understood but had huge impact that, and as an individual on my own, could scale really, really quickly. So the the, the essence and the beauty is, is around the modeling of what I created. So I, I looked at the end user. I looked at the last, what we call last mile distribution and the problems it created from shipping um, solutions from Mombasa to, you know, central Kenya or from you know, uh, Port Moresby to remote Papua New Guinea. Very, very tough logistical circumstances that you've got to overcome. How do, how do I do that as an individual? How do I raise awareness and who needs to know and what can they do once they learn about energy poverty? What action can they take that's so tangible and physical that there's a solution that comes out of it? And that's what I broke down. And and I looked at the whole problem and, and wanted to focus on children for a very personal reason. Um, and so the model that I came up with was let's empower and educate children all across the world to learn about a problem that they need to know about for the children that don't community poverty. And let's get lights to children that do. And let's utilize super engaged NGOs that are very specific and very experienced on the ground in the countries that that we can donate lights to them, and they do their amazing work with, with the donations that we provide them. And instead of giving them money, we give them solar lights, and those solar lights are then delivered into the hands of the children. And that's how I managed to 
Um, and I'm very strong on the Sustainable Development Goals, and particularly SDG 17, which is partnerships for the goals. And you know, I use the quote from Nelson Mandela from you know many many years ago, where you know as individuals we're weak, but as as, as a group we're strong. And and that's how I feel about the NGO world. And and small NGOs that are super passionate, mostly underfunded, and driven by the power and the passion of the, the teams. They do such great work, and and we can help them do more work. Then we're all stronger together, and, and that's that was the model that I came up with, and, and it seems to be working. So. That is, uh, yeah, that that is remarkable. Uh, two things I want to go a little bit deeper on because I know there's people listening to, uh, you know, hearing you speak and hearing about your ideas, and 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 of course who's followed your work, and they too might have their own passion project. And you know, you you mentioned before how you you sort of went. Um, also, a key distinction that I heard is that you tried to look at what's being done already. You didn't go in there and force your ideas. I think a lot of people, uh, as an entrepreneurial coach over my my few years, I've seen that someone gets an idea and they're like, "This is the this is going to change the world. Everyone must do this," you know. Um, and so I really love your approach about seeing what's being done there and trying to distill like what is the actual problem? How can we take what's being done and add value to it, which is huge. How does one approach the United Nations? Like, how did how did you pull that off? Uh, I literally just walked out the front door, and um, <laughs> pretty much, um, yeah, that, that's that's what happens. I, I approached the head office in, in Geneva, and wow. um, announced myself with an innovation that they should they should hear about. Um, wow! And yeah, that was that was it really. Um, I I. At university in London, when I was at business school in London, I, I earned a living um, selling um, products door to door in in West London, knocking on the front door and say, "Hey, my name is Simon. How are you? Um, I would like to make an appointment to show you my products." And you know, all very, all very legal. Um, <laughs> and it, you know, it was big, it was for a big company, but that was that was a product and that was their techniques of selling. And I used that. You know, I wasn't very good at it, and you know, um, but it was still an experience that I had for for two wow. or three months of just cold calling, just being brave enough to go and knock on on the front door of a house or the front door of a business, and and I took that philosophy, and, and uh, I was very very determined in in the naivety, but also the passion that, that I've got nothing to lose. If they if they don't let me in the building, I'll come back tomorrow, and I'll keep coming back until they do, and. Um, Fortunately, they let me in, and and the rest is history, as they say. So. Oh, yeah, that is that is incredible. Now you've got several ventures that are all targeting in some way, shape, or form addressing energy poverty. How do you decide what to pursue? I I keep myself very busy. Um, I'm very about um, variety. I, I love experimenting with different things. I love designing things. I love modeling um, businesses and understanding different markets. And I have to keep myself very busy. Um, so, you know, the Luca Power project is is a, is is a way of um, renting larger systems into into slightly uh, more prosperous sort of regions in in areas that are in energy poverty. Um, but what I love about Luca Power is we're reinvesting a lot of the profits back into the tertiary, the education of the, the community. Um, so instead of a power company in Australia lining the pockets of shareholders, we will be reinvesting. The, the, the profits back into the communities to, to invest in their educational outcomes. 
as well as taking a profit, but you know, that's our social our social aim. So it's a perpetual cycle of, of, of improvement and impact generated just by the power of the sun, which I think is something quite quite special. Um, Luca means bringer of light, and um, you know that's 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 where that comes from. And it's also my daughter's name, Luca, which is the, the, the girl for me. Um, Boo Boo Bikes is a wonderful project. Um, bamboo push bikes. Who doesn't love bamboo push bikes? Who doesn't love the idea of a bamboo push bike? Um, highly sustainable, beautiful, handmade by uh, mostly women in Ghana, Central Ghana. Um, beautiful social enterprise that. That I just couldn't say no to not being involved in that, and, and I'm very, very humble and, and proud to bring that that product to Australia and, and build a social enterprise around around the assembly of the bikes here in Australia with Indigenous youth in and in, um, in, in different communities, uh, which is which is really, really exciting, and looking forward to getting that um, ramped up. But um, for me, it's it's all about um, bring uh, attracting the right people, looking at the right projects. And doing everything from the ground up, from from the very first seed of ideas of what we need to do as an organisation or multiple organisations, it's about social impact. It's not about we we need to make money, we need to sell this dongle to make this much money in this best market share before we do impact. Before we have social, it's not about that. It's the other way. What is going mm. to create social impact right from the start, and do it um, at our core and we we have a consultancy firm that's just getting off the ground now, and, and, and our, our key our key um, element to our consultancy firm is is not key performance indicators, but key purpose indicators. And oh wow! That's really exciting as well because that's what we use in our company and our charity and everything that we do. We don't draw. We're not driven by key performance indicators. We're driven by key purpose indicators. So we're now that's we've now helpful. created a model there. We can go to big big companies and and bring that to them and, and give them the opportunity to to think about the purpose and the impact of their organisation as a as a primary focus, not a secondary or, or, or third focus. And that's really exciting as well. That is uh, that is incredibly exciting. I, I love that the key purpose indicators. I really wish uh, organisations around the globe are listening to this interview. And they re they they abolish all their KPIs and replace them with key purpose indicators because the world would be a much better place then, obviously. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Simon, what is um what is something you've learned in your life and your career that was being a really pivotal moment for you? This sort of goes against the, what we've just been talking about, but I was taught at a very young age, and and I think if you took took take away one word out of this, but but you can put anything in and. I was taught at a very young age, never chase money, spine and attract it. If you chase it, it will always run away. But if you attract it, um, it will always hang around. And I've taken that, and I was very, very young when I was taught that, and my, I was very young. And um, I've taken that and, and turned it, taken the money word out of it and, and you know, just used it as, you know, attract purpose, attract um, outcomes, attract impact. Um, and, and success in, in, in a lot of ways. That's probably the very first major lesson I was taught. Um, in the early days, it was about attracting money and being successful and, and those materialistic things. As a young man, that's that's how you sort of sometimes identify yourself. But very quickly, I realized that that was hollow and shallow and, and uh, not going to fulfill me. 
Um, so I've flipped it off. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's really, it's, and, and I think the attraction is about just doing good things and, and being positive and passing on that positivity and inspiring people, which then attracts more people that want to work in, in the same space and do, and do amazing work. And, and I think that if you're constantly projecting that, that positivity and, and ability to um, for people to to enact change, then then I think you, you it's a perpetual cycle in inertia takes place. Um, the the other thing that I've really learned is, is do not and it's a cliche but it's so true. Um, just don't sweat the small stuff. Keep your eye on the prize. Um, make really big goals um, and and back yourself. If you keep your eye on that horizon and, and know that you're able to to get there. The small stuff will just take place and will happen subconsciously um, in your team and, and you, you create an environment where you're so focused on the big the big goal that um, the small stuff just instantly rolls in and kind of takes its own its own way. But if you take your eye off the big prize and, and the big goal, you trip over the small stuff and, and, you, and you can go around in circles. And I, and I see that a lot. Um, so, you know, that's probably... Is slightly cliche, but but that's certainly where I. No, no, it's good, and um, and 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 I want to go. I want to go a little bit deeper into that for a second because you, you've sort of answered my second question, which was, uh, you know, here at the the One Small Thing podcast, we're all driven by really big ideas and and the pursuit of those big ideas because they're inspirational and they activate minds and hearts and all that. But you and I both know that it's it's really about the details of of how things go, and as you've said. Don't sweat the details. So I was wondering uh, if if that would be your advice to all these these uh, you know time poor executives out there that are trying to do big things to don't sweat the small stuff. But also following on from that, how do you how do you let go? Because like I know a lot of people out there just like full on focused and and it's like yeah okay this is gonna derail the whole project and you know yeah, yeah I've got that that horizon picture. But how do you actually let go? Like how did you let go of stuff? I trust and believe in my team. My job is to guide them, inspire them, uh, make them believe in themselves. And, and if I do my job well enough, then I can step back. And you know, and, and there's no there's no bigger joy um, aside from handing a child a solar light for the first time. There's no bigger joy than seeing um, you know someone come up through the ranks and, and, and perform and excel at their job and be so proud of themselves. It, that that creates its own perpetual motion as well. So letting go when you've when you've managed to do your own job uh, and inspire people around you to do their jobs, then then I think that's a quite an easy process. Um, but I, I also I pull back to the modelling. Um, you know the the ability to understand the market that you're in, whether it's you know engineering, construction, humanitarian, whatever retail. If you can. If you're trying to solve a problem, it's 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 innate. You're you're never going to solve the problem if you're so head down, bum up that, that you're trying to focus on only that problem. And what we try and do is is raise up and, and really take a bird's eye level of, of the whole landscape and look at who's doing something really well, who's do, who's doing something really bad, who's doing something mediocre, and and you know try and mold our way through with our own sort of um, personality and, and, um, and innovation and bring some of those learnings together. That is incredible because I, I never really thought about 
you know, I, I think I think a lot of leaders, um, including myself, look at all right, they're doing a good job, they're doing a crap job. But as you just said, then there's different levels. You know, who's doing a mediocre job but could be improved? Um, that, that is a, such an important distinction. Like, wow, um, Simon, thank you so much for your incredible kindness, generosity with your wisdom, sharing your experiences with this audience, and uh, and and this audience, I encourage you to visit Bookspeaker Direct and uh, get on to booking Simon to really just inject some energy, some passion, get your audience thinking differently about the world around there. And remember, the goal is to eliminate uh, energy poverty by 2030. Help this man achieve this vision. Like, please, uh, it, it's achievable. You know, it's achievable. And, and just spending time with you today, uh, oh, mate, I, I, I cannot describe this feeling. I really can't. So thank you so much. Uh, for coming on the show and uh, and yeah, I look forward to supporting you in, in whatever way we all can. Thanks very much, mate. It's been great talking to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it an appropriate thumbs up on whatever platform you're consuming it on and subscribe for future episodes. Thanks again to our sponsors, Book Speakers Direct, the revolutionary way of finding the perfect speaker for your event.